Now here's something you are not going to hear on the mainstream media. What you do hear is warmongers arguing that we must protect Ukraine because it is a quote-unquote democracy. But they're lying. Ukraine isn't actually a democracy. For example, to hold on to power, Ukraine's president shut down the three TV stations that were openly criticizing him and his policies, imprisoned the head of the opposition political party that had come in second place in their elections, and went and arrested and jailed that party's leaders. This is exactly what Putin has been accused of doing. But Ukraine did this all with the support of the United States. With everything that's happened the last few years, it's becoming clearer all the time that as the world jumps from one man-made crisis to another, we can see and understand why they create such crises as they all seem to have an eerily similar effect, usually death on a mass scale and financial suicide. Men like Bill Gates and Anthony Fauci, Justin Trudeau and Boris Johnson and indeed most world leaders who have come through the Klaus Schwab School for Young Global Leaders. They have all contributed the debt created for the sole purpose of crushing our economies, leading world leaders to jump from the fiat system to central bank digital currency. And now, of course, we have the puppet show, which is the Russia-Ukraine war, adding fuel to the fire and trying to create a world food shortage as most of the world's natural food is grown in the Ukraine and Russia, such as wheat. This war also leads us to another step closer to countries' economies collapsing and the death of many innocent people along the way. There will come a point when the elites will introduce a central bank digital currency and these people will stop at nothing to get it introduced. It's not the first time the elites have created a crisis in order to get you know, their agenda across. I'll talk a bit more about that later. But for now, I'll try and explain what a CBDC will mean for us citizens of the world. Digital currency is and has been a huge topic within the past few years, especially with the growth of Bitcoin and several other cryptocurrencies. But with so many other new and popular developments, these new currencies have been shrouded with controversy and a polarisation of opinion. Now, a new development is on the horizon, central bank digital currencies, CBDCs. But don't be fooled, it's not the same as cryptocurrency, nor does it bring the benefits crypto does. Instead, CBDC might just be a new version of the same old central bank system. A much anticipated paper by MIT and the Boston Fed is expected to be released by the end of the year. The paper will include details of what the US CBDC might look like. I'd like to see the Bank of England's proposal as well. 
Now, a growing number of people have become quite critical of the current central banking system. Many have described the Federal Reserve as a cartel, a gang that is engaged in unethical actions against its citizenry. If you follow the money and dive deep enough into how our central banking system really works, it's hard not to see why people have that perspective, because it is what I've just been explained, mass fraud. Because of this perspective, many actions taken by the financial elite, like the establishment of a CBDC, are absolutely noteworthy and raise suspicion that these measures will be implemented for more power and control. Now, the former president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston, Eric Rosengren, provided some key insights as to what a central bank digital currency might look like. Rosengren broke out the ecosystem into three buckets, Bitcoin, stablecoins and CBDCs, which he referred to as digital currency. Rosengren also revealed that blockchain and distributed ledger technology were not part of the design in a hypothetical US digital currency. Rosengren stated it is less likely that we are going to be designing a digital currency for the blockchain or for a particular blockchain. According to Rosengren, he further envisioned a central bank digital currency not as a stable coin but rather as a retail payment or a substitute for cash. You can't pay for something on the internet with cash. So the digital currency provides you a mechanism to use the cash, but in a digital form, said Rosengren. So CBDCs is basically cash in digital form. Digital cash that can be, uh, that can and will be used to make transactions in everyday life something that not all cryptocurrencies are designed for. While some cryptocurrencies can be used for these purposes, others like Bitcoin are more of an asset for sorting wealth, uh, for storing wealth. That being said, Bitcoin can still be used to purchase some goods and services and is now legal tender, even in uh, El Salvador, I think it is. There are differences between CBDC and cryptocurrencies. While both can be seen as digital, their differences are vast and one should not assume that CBDC is the solution cryptocurrencies are offering. One of the most important differences is that cryptocurrency is on a blockchain ledger, while CBDCs aren't. A blockchain is a new way of creating databases that has huge potential in many industries. Specific to currency, blockchain allows for decentralization of currency transparent ledger of transactions and it makes it so no single entity can control all the currency and manipulate its value easily it also means transactions can not be deleted or altered and everyone can verify it this level of transparency is not typically favored by those who control an entire country's money supply like the central banks do to go deeper, Bitcoin is not a privately owned currency. It's not part of the system. Your wealth in Bitcoin cannot be frozen, controlled or seized by the government. In fact, governments don't have any power over these cryptocurrencies as they do with modern day currency. The type of control governments would have 
over CBDC. And speaking about some of the values of Bitcoin and perhaps other cryptocurrencies, a former Facebook executive said, this is a fantastic fundamental hedge and store of value against autocratic regimes and banking infrastructure that we know is corrosive to how the world needs to work properly. You cannot have central banks infinitely printing currency. With all this in mind, CBDC will be no different than modern day currency. It's just going to be digital, that's all. CBDC is not an embrace of cryptocurrency, which remains something entirely different, something governments don't like and have no control over. The National Security Agency, the NSA, whistleblower Edward Snowden, who leaked documents exposing a massive global surveillance being used by the NSA, explains, Rather, I will tell you what a CBDC is not. It is not, as Wikipedia might tell you, a digital dollar. After all, most dollars are already digital, existing not as something folded in your wallet, but as an entry in a bank's database, faithfully requested and rendered beneath the glass of your phone. Instead, a CBDC is something closer to being a perversion of cryptocurrency, or at least of the founding principles and protocols of cryptocurrency. A crypto-fascist currency, an evil twin, entered into the ledgers on opposite day, expressly designed to deny its users the basic ownership of their money, and to install the state at the media, uh, mediating centre of every transaction. Now, Sl Snowden explains that proponents of the CBDCs believe that strictly centralised currencies are the realisation of a bold new standard, where every central bank issued dollar is held by a central bank managed account, recorded in a vast ledger of state that can be continuously scrutinised and eternally revised. They believe that this will make everyday transactions safer and easier to tax, making it impossible to hide money from the government. He argues that this is simply a step to increase the power and control of the surveillance state, one that continually finds ways to take away our rights to privacy for the sake of national security. <clears throat> It goes on, CBDC opponents, however, cite that very same purported safety and ease to argue that an e-dollar, say, is merely an extension to, or financial manifestation of, the ever-encroaching surveillance state. To these critics, the methods by which this proposal eradicates bankruptcy, fallouts and tax dodges draws a bright red line under its deadly floor. These only come at the cost of placing the states newly privy to the use and custodianship of every dollar at the centre of monetary interaction. Look at China, the napkin clingers cry, where the new ban on Bitcoin, along with the release of the digital yen, is clearly intended to increase the ability of the states to intermediate, to impose itself in the middle of every last transaction. You see, the, 
key difference between CBDC and Bitcoin and others. These are viewed by both central and commercial banks as dangerous because they've been designed to ensure equal protection for all users with no special privileges or power extended to the state who like to keep their eye on everything. A publication in the New York Times by Dr. Ezwa Prasad, a professor of trade policy at Cornell University and the author of a forthcoming book on digital currencies. Now he outlines a number of pros and cons of digital currencies. One of the cons is as follows. If cash were replaced with a digital dollar, however, the Fed could impose a negative interest rate by gradually shrinking the electronic balance in everyone's digital currency accounts, creating an incentive for consumers to spend and for companies to invest. The thought of banks depleting the savings of every wage worker if they don't spend it is quite concerning to say the least. In China, things are moving fast. The country's central bank, the People's Bank of China, now they stated on uh, the, uh, it's July 2021 that the digital renminbi is ready for cross-border use, yet for its state-sponsored digital currency to be realised, the digital renminbi must be interoperable with the CBDCs of other countries. Simply put, their currency must be able to work with digital currencies from other countries. The People's Bank of China is supporting the development of global CBDC standards and working with other monetary author uh, authorities to launch a multi-CBDC arrangement because of this reason. Right. Uh, vaccine passports. Even though in the UK and England, at least now, we've dropped them and uh, Ireland followed suit, the Czech Republic has followed suit. But it wasn't ever about you not being able to come into, say, into this uh, studio and infect me, because even after they learned that you could still infect me, the vaccine passports were still in place. But they've told us, they meaning people in power, have told us what they want to do next. So the UK is currently the head of the G7 group. That's the world's most economically advanced countries. And the UK currently chairs the G7 group. Our chancellor, who does our economy, called Chancellor of the Exchequer, his name's Rishi Sunak. He's put out this video. This is all on my feeds, by the way, my social feeds. He put out this video saying that um, what they want to do is bring in this uh, thing called the central banking digital currency. They want to replace fiat paper money with digital money as a competitor to Bitcoin and crypto money, right? But instead of being a decentralized currency, it will be controlled by a government. It's digital currency, but controlled centrally through the banks, Bank of England. So instead of having a bank account with whatever, HSBC or Bank of America, you'll have a bank account directly within the American context with the Fed. In the UK, directly with the Bank of England. You have a personal bank account and you're given digital money in that bank account. These are called central banking digital currencies. The Chancellor of the Exchequer in the UK has already announced their intention to do this as the G7 group. And these are, if you look up... Um, this sounds terrifying. If you look up uh, the Telegraph newspaper... I've already Googled it. There's a lot of headlines about it. Yep, there's a specific article in the Telegraph, uh, Programmable Digital Currency, yeah? Um, if you can't find it, I'll pull it out from my Twitter feed and uh, we can we can talk through it on my feed. But uh, while he's looking for that, I'll talk you through it. So 
one of these um, uh, central bank digital currency uh, currency that, is that the one down digital, below? digital currency should be programmable see that one there yeah he's looking at it even on the search it says the word programmable the top search result yeah third line down yeah, I see, I see in yeah should be programmable yeah. Mm. programming yeah now see again there's a paywall but uh, start maybe, your free trial yeah but you can see the word there right programming in the headline now what yeah. they're doing is they're saying that this digital currency, once you're you, because you know everyone knows that with inflation at over five percent, it's now five point four percent, right? Uh, our fiat money, the paper money, is increasingly becoming worthless, and we're headed towards a big disaster. They, the Fed wants to raise interest rates, but we're in so much debt that if you raise interest rates, people are going to suffer because everyone that the you know we're living on debt as Western economies. So they realize that this kind of the lifespan of paper money is fast coming to an end because of the 2008 economic crash in particular. So they're bringing in these central banking digital currencies. Why is that word programmable in there? So what they said in that article and the, and the chance to put a video out saying this as well, they said, right, think back to what vaccine passports were. Yeah, if you don't have your jab, you can't even eat in this restaurant. What they've said and why the word programmable was in that headline was they've said that this money that you will earn from work, instead of having paper money, you have this digital money. It's programmable so that you can't buy certain foods or if you do something that your employer doesn't like, it's all in that article. You won't be able to spend your money. In other words, it's not money. They're vouchers. They're like food vouchers. And they can be programmed so that, like the Chinese social credit system, that if you try and use them on a certain thing, it won't work. You say you want to buy a burger and they want you to buy bucks, which is one of the examples used. If you start to try and buy unhealthy meat, it just won't work. You tap, you tap your card, you can't buy the thing because you've met your quota that month of burgers. You have to buy something like a, a vegan meal. So yeah. it won't just be money in the sense of the way we have dollars or pounds today. Yeah. It'll be something that's controlled in terms of your ability to distribute it. Which is why I'm calling it a voucher. It's a coupon. But even a coupon, if you have a coupon to buy bread, yeah. you can still buy the bread. Yeah. Like. There's but no... you can't buy – see, that coupon to buy bread, what you can't do is buy a burger with that coupon. It's for bread. Right, yeah? right. So a central – so you will have the central banking digital currency. And then what they're talking about in that article that we just pulled up is you'll, that they'll say, right, and it explicitly uses the words, uh, won't be used on something that the employer deems inappropriate or the state deems inappropriate. Oh, we got to see this. Yeah? See, see if we can find that or – I'm, I'm gonna just digging also, through a different yeah. article about it too. It's Talking about it's going to – there's pilot programs going to be used in the Olympics coming up in China. Yep. They've already started it and Right. Now, do you, do you feel like you're sounding the alarm yes. for people that don't understand what the fuck is going on? So, here, I'll put it up for you here, yeah? So, there's the video. Yeah. I don't know if your camera can see that, but the, no. there's the video. There's him speaking about it. The G7 is launching a set of public policy principles for retail central bank digital currencies, yep. CBDCs. Central bank digital currencies could be a digital version of money, a bit like a digital banknote that could be used alongside... Right, so that's the guy who runs our economy in the UK. His name's the Chancellor of the Exchequer. And here is the article. Bank of England tells ministers to intervene on digital currency programming. Yeah, And here's a quote from the article. This is in the Telegraph, the one he pulled up, but okay. it was behind a paywall, so I'll just read the quote. Digital cash could be programmed to ensure it is only spent on essentials or goods which an employer or government deems to be sensible. So, when it comes to CBDCs, it simply favours the already powerful and allows them more control over people's lives and an even greater reduction of their privacy.
like many moves the elite make. It will all be done under the guise of goodwill and service to others, when in fact that is likely not the intention. As new technological solutions arise, we see human life becoming simpler and more expansive. But what type of thinking and paradigms back the way that technology is used? In our current world, it is a paradigm of control, disconnection and domination. Perhaps the most important takeaway here is that as the world evolves technologically, we are still not solving real problems because we are stuck in old ways of thinking. We must begin connecting with the earth, ourselves and something deeper inside ourselves to ask what type of world we truly wish to see. Sitting back and leaving our collective direction up to those currently in power will not result in a meaningful paradigm change. We must come together at a grassroots level and think differently about how we want to live on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Like I said earlier, the elite will stop at nothing to reach their goal. Total control. I look back in history at what they've been doing. Late November 1910, some of the most influential men in America gathered on Jekyll Island for a secret meeting. Their names were Senator Nelson W. Aldridge, who was the leader of the Republican Party, Adam P. Andrew, who was the Assistant Secretary of the U.S. Treasury Department, Frank Arthur Vanderlip, who was president of the National City Bank of New York, Henry P. Davison, who was also a prominent banker, Benjamin Strong, another influential banker, and Paul Wahlberg. The purpose of this secret meeting was to plan America's monetary policy while establishing a central bank system, which resulted in dropped legislation and became known three years later as the Federal Reserve Act of 1913. So what is the Federal Reserve? Well, it's just a bunch of private banks owned by private citizens like the Rothschilds family, able to print money to loan to its governments, charging them interest on the way. So instead of the American government printing its own paper money backed by gold and silver, as stated, I might add, in their constitution, the Federal Reserve was born and took over government loans. Ultimately, the US government borrows paper printed money from a group of private bankers that collect interest on every dollar printed, backed by nothing. This ability to print and loan money on interest is what financed both world wars, drowning the US public in debt. One dollar in 1913 is equal to $25 today. The Federal Reserve. <laughs> it's not federal, and its name suggests, but privately owned. And it hasn't got a reserve, because it just prints its own money. So what is the Federal Reserve? Best, best earner, I wonder. Well, yeah, it's war. Back to this secret meeting anyway. So 
So in between the meeting in 1910 and 1913, when the Federal Reserve came to be, lies a conspiracy about the ship, the Titanic. Let me introduce to you J.P. Morgan, an American banker and financier <clears throat> who dominated corporate finance on Wall Street during the late 19th century when he was a driving force behind the wave of industrial consolidation in the United States. This man spearheaded the formation of several prominent multinational corporations, including US Steel Corporation and General Electric, with controlling interest in AT&T, Western Union alongside 24 railroads. Quite a rich man. JP Morgan funded and built the Titanic, as well as its sister ship called Olympic. Now JP Morgan was booked to go on the Titanic's maiden voyage, but he cancelled the day before it was due to set sail. The same fortunate outcome can't be said about the extremely wealthy and influential men that were opposed to the creation of the Federal Reserve Act. These men were all millionaires, but not through banking. Men such as Jacob Astor, who was one of the richest people in the world at the time, and also a great friend of Nikola Tesla. Another opponent against the Federal Reserve Act who was on board that fateful day was Benjamin Guggenheim, son of a wealthy miner, also not a banker. Another man opposed was Isidore Strauss, he owned Macy's department store, very, very wealthy and seemingly very unlucky to get invited on board Titanic's maiden voyage. All these men were invited on, believed to be by JP Morgan. Maybe these men might have survived if Titanic had the right colour flares even that night to signal distress. A ship's a ship has red flares to signal distress, but the most expensive ship of its time could only muster up white flares to signify a celebration. There was one, uh, there was no one on board who was in favour of the Federal Reserve Act. No J.P. Morgan, as he cancelled the day before. A bit like Larry Silverstein, the man who owned the Twin Towers, having purchased them months before and then insuring them for billions conveniently conveniently not even showing up for work that fateful day along with a few other jewish people who worked at the twin towers as well all getting texts and faxes telling them not to go to work today but that's another story and another podcast so all major opposition to the federal reserve perished aboard the titanic in 1912 with no jp morgan on board and no Rockefellers and no Rothschilds, only every man who opposed the Federal Reserve Act. It left the aforementioned to go unopposed, and in 1913 the Federal Act was born, rushed through Congress around Christmas time, with hardly any senators present. Even the New York Times reported that never had such an important legislation been passed under such circumstances. The act was passed while Congress were on Christmas vacation. So the big question is, 
did J.P. Morgan fund, build and sink the Titanic in order to kill all opposition to the Federal Reserve Act of 1913? It was thought that J.P. Morgan was one of the richest men in the United States, but upon his death he was found to own only 17% of his company, while the Rothschilds family owned the rest. J.P. Morgan was just a money frontman for the Rothschild family. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed that little conspiracy there. Until next time, toodle fucking do.